The scripture for this morning comes from Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. You can follow along in your Bibles or in your worship guide. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Good morning. If you don't mind, I'm going to open up with a quick prayer. Lord, these words are so special. And it's it's an amazing thought that for centuries people have gathered around these very words in Philippians 2. May you open the eyes of our heart, Lord, to what you have for us in this passage, but, but even our church in this vision series, Lord. May you teach us how to participate in your kingdom. Lord, may we interact with you in a way that impacts this city. And thank you, Lord, for the way up is down. The way to reign is to serve. The way to live is to die. And the way for power is weakness. Lord, only you can pull that kind of thing off. So thank you for this time together. In Christ's name, amen. Well, a story in the news grabbed my attention about a month ago. And a gentleman who owned the Ocean Manor Resort at Fort Lauderdale, right on the beach, was sharing uh, his story of how the afternoon tide washed up across right in front of his beach resort. And this wasn't a three-foot cross. This was a cross that was 20, 25 feet tall, probably close to the chandeliers there, washed up on the shore in front of this Fort Lauderdale resort. And the story just covered different people sharing about their experience, like what they thought it was. And and it it definitely drew a crowd. It was a barnacled um, cross, and it was believed that it came from uh, um, Puerto Rico or, or a place where there was a hurricane. But it was interesting to hear him talk because his sister had just... Uh, just was at the property that morning and she had a terrible dream and just went out there to the shoreline and 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 prayed and left and then she got a call from her brother who was the owner of the resort and and just said hey you need to come (laughs) and that image of people descending from the resort onto the beach to get a closer look that that is kind of a metaphor that really holds this whole sermon together I don't have points so much as I do an image What does it look like for us as a community to descend upon the cross? Which the resort owner said, hey, that cross is here to stay. (laughs) But that image of descending, 
I believe, is really what we're called to do in Philippians 2, verses 12 to 18. And I'm asking this question really just, you know, what might we see as we descend upon the cross? And a better question is, as a community, who might we become as we descend upon the cross? And verse 12, I mean, it starts with so then or therefore. And really, that's, that's a call to understand what is the context of this passage. And it's fascinating to me to understand what's going on here. Last week, you heard Todd talk about the emptying of Christ and that famous passage in Philippians 2 where where Jesus, God, uh, became a servant, taking on the form of of a human, and he was obedient to the point of death on a cross. And so I just kind of see the descent of Jesus going down. He was God. He became a baby in a lowly manger. He lived a life without a home, no place to rest his head. And he went to a cross, and then he went down into the grave where the Father raised him. Jesus did not raise himself. The Father exalted him and brought him up. And even Jesus ascended back to heaven where the Father exalted him before all nations. So that's right before this passage. Now, right after this passage, it's also interesting where Paul talks about his own descent. So you remember what he says. He says, I'm an expert of the law. I, am, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. And what he began to say was, hey, I'm descending. I consider all things loss so that I may know Christ. And then Christ exalts him through giving him joy and companionship. So this confidence that Paul was talking about was actually a result of downward mobility. A descent. And trust me, man, there are so many reasons for us not to descend upon the cross. And that image of the resort where maybe there's somebody up in the penthouse that the cross is just too small. I'm not going to worry about that. Or may, and maybe there's a group of college students that are up to no good on spring break or whatever. And they look down at the cross and they're like, man, what a buzzkill that is. <laughs> you know, or maybe we just or just want to hang out in our room. So that idea of descent is really, really speaks to me in this passage. And as we descend, I even and I'm way, maybe way too visual. But as we descend, I just think of, you know, maybe the the gate is kind of narrow. Maybe we can't carry our ego down to the shoreline, to this lowly place to see the cross. And in Matthew 7, Jesus says, narrow is the way that leads to life. So this downward descent really carries this this idea that is communicated in Philippians 2, 4, where Paul urges us to have the same mind as Christ did. Have this same mind in community. So this passage is about dissent among us as a community. Where Jesus and Paul kind of hold this passage together. And now it is you and me and us. So how might we experience the cross which is the power of God? There's one book that I'm going to be referencing here and and I just brought the book in case you want to, I guess only one of you could take this. But it's, uh, 
It's by Henry Nouwen, and I'm just, I'll, I'll read a quote here in a second, but the, the title is great. The Selfless Way of Christ, Downward Mobility in the Spiritual Life. This book has been a great resource for this passage. Downward Mobility in the Spiritual Life. So I'd like to just walk through this passage, um, and we will start at verse 12. So then, my beloved... Just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We all know that phrase, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I don't know about you, but I've always read that passage as, okay, I've got to work out my salvation. I've got to do, how am I going to do that? And the context is clear It's not talking about me as an individual. It's talking about us. And maybe it would have been easier if Paul would have said, all y'all work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That is why Paul said, oh, I wish I was there. But I'm not there. But this is all to happen in the presence of community. And fear and trembling, again, The thought is, okay, I got to work out salvation in me with fear and trembling. And I think that's true. But as Jim said two weeks ago, what if we had fear and trembling with God at work in someone around us? What if our eyes were on their spiritual life and not ours? I think that's what's happening here. It's the same idea as as the disciples walk along with Jesus and Jesus heals somebody and really works deeply in somebody. And the disciples marvel. They are astonished. They have fear and trembling because Jesus is at work in another person. It's a different perspective to seek God in at work in other people. Work out that phrase. An ancient commentary writer said this. It's it's as if God is mining for treasure, that we join him to mine deep, yes, into our soul, but also into the souls of others. Again, context is important. The whole idea of Philippians 2 is consider others' needs as more important than your own. Verse 13, for it is, at, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. We are to become the kind of people who descend into the lives of others and join God unearthing, working, healing. He is at work. His power is working. And what I love about this this passage, too, is it says, according to his good pleasure. Jesus isn't uh, working in our lives with his arms crossed. With his head, with his hand in his head in his hands. He doesn't have a look of frustration on his face. He is not dismayed. He is not clenching his fist. He does not carry a face of fatigue. His countenance is one of favor. He is working according to his good pleasure. He does not kick anything over. (laughs) 
So how might we descend into other people's lives, joining God, seeking renewal? Well, the first thing, and I mentioned it, is don't ascend. Don't take the elevator up to the penthouse. Don't let pride cause you to run up the steps. Instead, descend unto the beach. Ask questions that get beneath the surface. Hey, I love small talk. Small talk, we need it. We get coffee back there. We need that. But what about the big talk? How can we ask questions that actually have us take steps down into another person's life? What might it look like for us to get beneath the surface and pray for things that deeply matter? I'm a, a community group leader here at Hope Chapel, and I really just in facilitating Sunday evenings about what the sermon is, uh, uh, how the sermon applies to our life. It's, it's hard. It's hard to think about how, how are we going to do this? And I've kind of stumbled upon a method and this method, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But it's this. I just want to have three thoughtful questions. The first question is small talk. The other two questions are big talk. The other two questions are hopefully to get underneath the surface, to descend. And sometimes it's too deep, and that's the art of it. And it's been kind of funny for me, and my, wife's, my wife has done this to me and my group, but they will turn the question around to me and say, well, wh- how would you answer that question? And I was like, well, I'm not, I don't know how I'd answer that question. I didn't think you were going to ask me after me asking you. But I've kind of liked that because I've felt known. But I've also been tempted to not ask such deep questions. (laughs) So another way to do this is really with a friend, ask two more questions than you normally would. Ask two more questions. Well, have you experienced that before? If you if you talk to God right now, what do you think he would say to you? What would you say to him? We have a great room over here in the hallway, a prayer room to sit with a friend and and descend wisely. Invite a friend that is trusted. But open up wisely as well. Take on another person's spiritual life. And you might have to leave your cell phone at the door (laughs) to do that. But when you pray together in this mutual descent, there's life. There's renewal. There's fruit. There's living water bubbling up. Verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And that idea of grumbling is from the desert wilderness where they circled and they they said to God, we like manna, but we want something more. And this circling for 40 years, I think, is what Paul is referring to here. This prideful demanding. And God even provided, but they continued to circle. Their ascent of wanting more was actually a circling. You see that? Their ascent in wanting more of being God caused them to circle. Yet God stayed with them. So when we grumble, we, we hold thoughts of prideful assent 
When we grumble, we hold thoughts of prideful assent. And that is a place of, cap- of captivity, of spinning in circles. And my encouragement is simple, and I will move on from this passage here, this part. But is to get those thoughts out. Get them out. Do not let those thoughts, whatever they are, whatever complaints, whatever needs, circle in you over and over again. Get them out. Get them out before others. Get them out before God. If you have a problem with my sermon or something here, get, go, go to Todd and talk to him about that. <laughs> the idea, I'm kidding, but, but the idea is to get those out. If you need to go to the woods and talk to God and get something out, do so. Pride will have you circling for weeks, months, years. That's what happened to Moses. Circled. Lived self-sufficiently. Didn't make it into the promised land. So the way out of circling is what? It's descent. It's let's go to the Jordan, the Jordan River Valley. Let's go down. And not only down into the Jordan, but they went into the Jordan River, which is symbolic of what? Symbolic of death. Death. That's why John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan. Had so much meaning of death. But when they come up out of the waters, what is there? Renewal, the promised land, life. That image is so vivid of life and resurrection life. Now, um, just real quick, I, I, uh, I'm glad to be here this morning. Uh, this past week, uh, I went to Colorado for a snowshoe trip, which is kind of a chance of a lifetime with a friend. Um, and it just so happens they got a lot of snow right before I came. So there was a threat of avalanches, and we weren't able to, to snowshoe in the area we are hoping to, so it was a little disappointing. Uh, but the bigger disappointment was Wednesday we were supposed to fly out, and, and I don't know if you saw the news, but, um, but Denver, Colorado, experienced a blizzard on Wednesday morning, and it really was a hurricane with snow which we saw kind of unfold right before us at the gate uh, where the airplane was supposed to take off. And, and so all the flights were canceled and everybody started to scramble and we started to scramble. And my friend had his son lived in Denver, uh, a lo- kind of a long train ride. So we jumped on the train, uh, the highways were closed and actually the airport ran out of food. And so I'm glad we didn't stay. Um, but we jumped on this train in the blizzard the windows are fogged up. The train is moving because of the wind, 60 to 90 mile an hour winds, and the train got stuck. And so the little switch that switches the tracks got frozen. And after 30 minutes, it was like, okay, let's, let's get going. But then an hour and a half pass, we come upon two hours. And, and just to paint the picture of what was going on, I had my, my head in my hands like this going, oh my gosh, this is like a terrible movie. The guy next to me was playing his, uh, his, his Nintendo. The guy behind him, every once in a while, he would just say a cuss word really loud, like, <laughs> you know. The two uh, people over here were, co- were just complaining about just like, you know, maybe we should call somebody. What? You know, the person over there actually called somebody. The person up here is ch- doing texting, and we're just a mess. But for whatever reason, God just, I, I, he just said to me, you know, and he, you know, he didn't really, I didn't hear him say this. You understand what I'm what I mean. 
John, there's something truer here. This circumstance is not great. But you can descend underneath this. And I just sat and I just closed my eyes and I just imagined him with me. And it's going to be okay. And I kid you not, it worked. <laughs> now, that didn't, I'm not saying the train started and that's not, I'm just saying it, it allowed me to experience the reality that as I release this, that I'm not alone. That the kingdom of God is at hand. That he was with me. And encourage me to descend beneath this circumstance. What if we could learn how to descend beneath the circumstances of life? Why would we do this? Look at verse 15. So that you would, will prove yourself to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach. In the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among who you, whom you appear as lights of the world. That idea of light. Reflecting the light of God. That's why we don't get stuck in grumbling and circling. We are to reflect the light of God. Just as Jesus reflected the Father, we reflect Jesus. But the way is down. Power is through weakness and humility. And Paul emphasizes this in verse 16. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day I will have reason to glory Because I did not run in vain, nor toil in vain. So what he's saying there is, when we live selfishly, there is blemish. There is covering. The light cannot come come forward through us. And that phrase, I got got stuck on this in in the best kind of way. Hold fast the word of life. And that idea, word of life, that zoe, that's the life of of God. That's his spirit within us. And to hold fast that. If you want to do a word study in your community group, there's just there's four verses that use that phrase hold fast. It's Acts 3, 5, which means give attention. First Timothy 4, 16, which means close attention. Luke 14, 7, which means to notice. And Acts 19, 22, which means stay there. Hold fast the word of life. Henry Nowen says this, the disciple is the one who follows Jesus on his down path and thus enters with him into new life. The gospel radically subverts the presuppositions of our upward mobile society. It is a jarring and unsettling challenge. So to hold on to the word of resurrection life. Verses 17 to 18 to finish up here. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. And that phrase poured out, the whole image there is is after all the burnt offerings and the sacrifices, there's a pouring out of either water or wine. The steam rises up as an offering to God and that water flows down the altar towards the people.
And many commentary write, I mean, there's big debate. What did, what did Paul talk about when he was pouring out? Yes, it's service. But he, like Todd said last, last week, he has a death sentence. He's going to die. He can't be talking about that because there's joy, mention of joy at the end. And I'm, uh, I'm to believe with some other commentary writers that Paul was talking about his death and he was talking about his life of service. And here's the thing. Joy and the sentence of death can actually come together. Why? Because the kingdom of God is upside down. The way to life is through death. There is a joy that we all can experience. Paul urges us, rejoice in the same way. Share your joy with me. Oh yeah, I want that. That kind of joy. So as we descend upon the cross, we become a people who work out our salvation together. We do not grumble. We descend beneath to the Jordan Valley. We hold fast the word of life. We are poured out in powerful service and share in joy. And my final challenge really here is for us to be watchful of what God is doing. How he is moving in his kingdom and join in. And join in. Uh, I like the fourth panel in the foyer. And go, you can look at it after the service. But in that fourth panel, there's on, on the underneath, there's, there's water. And I didn't ask Michael or Todd, but what I think that is, is the river of life. That in the final kingdom, there is a river of God that runs through the city. And I love that image, that, that image of being poured out and there being a river. And I don't know if you know this prophecy or not. I encourage you to look at it in Ezekiel 47, which really ties in with our prayer of renewal. And whether you take this literally or figuratively, I, I think that's beside the point. But Ezekiel experiences God in this vision. And Ezekiel is walking up to the temple mount and there's a trickle of water. And Ezekiel begins to interact with God. God, what is this? He's saying this water is of me and the trickle becomes a little bit more of a flow, a stream. And then all of a sudden, Ezekiel finds himself wading in this water that is ankle deep. And the water starts to come from the temple mount down out through the eastern gate, south towards the Jordan Valley. And all of a sudden, this is a river where Ezekiel had to step away and be like, God, what are you doing? And God began to take Ezekiel down the river where, where the river of life went down into the Jordan Valley down into the Jordan to the lowest place on earth, the lowest place of sea level, which is the Dead Sea. And Ezekiel's walking along this river that is getting bigger and bigger. And God is saying, this is who I am. This living water is flowing and it's coming. And it goes down into the Dead Sea. And look at this passage yourself. It's fascinating. And when it empties into the Dead Sea, which has such a high salt content, nothing living is in it. And then all of a sudden, the waters become fresh. The living waters create fish that are teeming. Vegetation starts to grow on the banks of the Dead Sea. Leaves of the trees bring healing to the nations. 
that there is a flourishing that is happening. And what's interesting about that is the whole rest of Ezekiel's life was participation in that river where there's healing of the nations. So we must watch for him. How is he moving? Where might I pour my life out? Because we are now the temple of God and that living water comes out through us powerfully. It flows through us. And that's the question I want to leave with you. Is where would he have you aim that pouring out? Where would he have you as your community group aim that pouring out? Locally, globally. And I'm going to let St. Patrick end with a prayer that he wrote, oh, some 1600 years ago. And St. Patrick was called back to pour out his life and be a part of a renewal in Ireland. So his prayer will close us out. Christ be with you. Christ within you. Christ behind you. Christ before you. Christ beside you. Christ to win you. Christ to comfort and restore you. Christ beneath you. Christ above you. Christ in quiet and in danger. Christ in hearts of those who love you. Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. Amen.